welcome to the Searching for Vitality podcast. Today we are talking with Mary Claire Sweet, who is the founder, content director, and master teacher at Lotus House On Demand. In addition to yoga, she does empowerment, stress reduction, and mindset coaching. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and then uh, what you do? Yes, thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to connect with you. And I help people feel more connected to themselves. And when you feel more connected to yourself, more accepting in love with, joyfully connected to yourself, you feel better in every single area of your life. So I have been practicing yoga nearly my whole life. And um, after the birth of my first daughter, I decided to open a yoga studio here in Omaha. And yoga is my spiritual practice. It's my spiritual journey. And it happens to be an incredible way to move your body as well. Um, that is like a teeny tiny part of yoga, but it's also a really, um, great doorway into the practice. So I started Lotus house of yoga in 2010. And then right after that, I started, um, teaching at yoga festivals around the world, leading yoga retreats, um, doing interviews with yoga and wellness magazines, leading meditation retreats, um, the other, like, I remember I was at a, a yoga festival and there was like a musical artist on that night. And there were a bunch of us talking about like medicinal mushrooms. Um, and this was probably in like 2012. And it was almost like a hushed conversation. Like, don't talk too loud because people might think it's weird or something or the other. And, you know, now it's just like, you can buy that on the shelf at natural grocers. So I feel really lucky to have been a part of what feels like a, um, you know, wellness movement for a really long time. Um, I started coaching one-on-one, um, probably around six or seven years ago, really kind of also before it was called life coaching, you know, or it was more of like a mainstream understanding. And so in summation, I just really love helping people and I resonate with people's stories. I feel um, a very deep sense of compassion that we're all connected through, for lack of a better word, a sense of suffering. We all go through really hard stuff. And um, we, if we can see each other through that hard stuff, then I think we can connect and grow into a sense of joy. Yeah. So I liked how you brought up like yoga is part of a spiritual journey for you. Um, yoga has been something that I've always been drawn to. I, you know, I have a tendency to kind of start the practice and then I get a little distracted and then I try to pick it up again. So I would love if you could talk a little bit more about, um, how yoga can also be a spiritual journey and not just like a physical movement practice. Oh my gosh. Great question. Thank you so much. Well, what we know in the West about yoga is usually um, a white, small-bodied woman in the splits or like walking out of a hot yoga class with like a bra top and a water bottle. And while I do believe that everyone who is practicing yoga is experiencing yoga, um, it is has created such a you know division from what the practice of yoga is as a whole. Um, you could think of yoga as almost akin to food. Like if we think of food, it it's everything that we consume, whether for delight and joy and pleasure or for nourishment and um, strengthening or medicine, med- medicinal reasons. Yoga has something truly for everyone. And I think because in America, we're really good at commodifying things and um, creating, you know, a capitalistic web around um, something. We do that through um, saying, if you want this, then you need to buy this. Okay. So what happened in the West and by the West, I mean, you know, United States, pretty much, 
um, was that in about the 60s and 70s, some very privileged white able-bodied individuals were able to access these incredible teachings from India and um, you know the South Asian continent at large, really. Um, and so that practice, like I said, it's like food. There are so many incredible, innumerable different um, areas and channels of yoga. And the preeminent one that has kind of come into my lineage and my journey is through what's called Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And again, this is like a teeny tiny little slice, one piece of literature out of the whole grocery store that outlines a path called the eight-limbed path. And within that eight-limbed path, we have the yamas, niyamas, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, samadhi. And so what that means is the first two limbs or steps are like, be cool to the world, yamas, niyamas, be cool and love and accept yourself, niyama. The third step is called asana. And what that means is to take a seat and be comfortable in that seat. So what gets comfortable in that seat? Your soul. Now, your soul is always comfortable. Your soul is always courageous. It's always determined. It's always present. But our identity as a human and how we relate to the world, like you don't get to be in this world without creating an ego. That's why when we're babies, we're silent. We know nothing. And then we go to earth school. We're like, oh, this is how we are a human. And this is what we do and how we relate to people. And so we build this identity. Your soul is in there the whole time, just like completely content and loving you and, and just there for you. So when we talk about asana as a seat, that means that your body, your seat is comfortable and understanding of your soul. So within that channel, that's where all of the postures come in. And so maybe, you know, 2,500 years ago, there was like 10 postures. But then this is maybe a little too much information, but it's kind of interesting. Maybe 110 years ago, 100 years ago, um, the Indian king of a certain region was interested in infusing some more cultural um, cultural influence into the population at large. So he took a um, practice of Indian gymnastics and Indian martial arts and infused it with this practice of yoga. And that's how we got, this is like only a hundred years ago, that's how we got a lot of the modern postural yoga that we know today. Well, then that like infiltrated into LA and New York City through those sort of like privileged individuals. And then it was like, everyone's feeling good. We're at one and we get this elated feeling because we connect to a very feminine essence inside of ourselves. And then, you know, from there, the last 35, 40 years, things have escalated very quickly, but that's asana. So number four step, number four is pranayama and that's breath work. We're learning how to control your energy field. Number five is pratyahara, where we stop taking stimulus from the outside world and start to concentrate on our inside world. And then number six, seven, and eight really have a lot to do with meditation. So the reason why I want to tell you that is because when you ask like, what is yoga outside of a spiritual practice, or excuse me, what is yoga as a spiritual practice outside just the postures? Mm -hmm. It's like a heck of a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And the majority of it, the majority of everything, all parts of it comes back to an idea of watching the rising and falling of your breath. So let's, let's all try that together. So both of you, and when you're listening, let's all try that. So let's just take one clearing breath. So inhale and exhale. And now just watch your breath rise in your body and watch your breath fall in your body. One more time, watch your breath rise in your body and watch your breath fall in your body. Okay, 
So open your eyes. That's it. You just meditated. That's what meditation is. It's choosing one point of focus and concentrating on that. Um, and so to that, I say, this is all a breathing practice. Everything, being a sister, being a business person, being a mother, being um, an advocate, being an ally is all a breathing practice. And when you connect to your breath, you are connecting to a foundational longing to understand. And when I look at you, my sisters, and I say, I just seek to understand you, then I cease throwing judgment. I cease throwing anger. I cease, I stop hurrying or rushing. And I just look at you and I go, I just want to understand. And that's seen through the eyes of compassion. Yeah, I think that you explained that so beautifully. Um, and even just like that three breath meditation just made me feel so much more relaxed. It it was amazing just how like focusing on your breath for three breaths makes such a huge difference. It's crazy. I think that it can often be intimidating if you're brand new to the practice to start and know where to start and how to start. What advice do you have for listeners that are maybe in that space where they want to start, but they don't look like that stereotypical yogi that, you know, you you identified and everybody pictures in their head, you know, what steps would you recommend somebody takes? Yeah. Um, Okay. So first I would say, even though there are millions of individuals in the United States practicing yoga, and most of those individuals fit that white, small, able-bodied, probably cisgendered human, um, that is a tiny fraction of the individuals that are practicing yoga all over the planet. And so when we think about what a yogi really looks like, we actually could envision, um, you know, a person of color on the other side of the planet who has decided to renounce their material life and commit to a practice of understanding. So that's first, but to not make it more intimidating, let me just start, start again and start over. Um, it is said that if you are called to yoga, so if you are interested, or like you said, I've always kind of been interested in it. I've always kind of been like, what is that little intrigue, but I'm too intimidated. Like I'm not flexible enough. Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard anyone say that? (laughs) Me, I've tried it and I feel like a bull in a China shop. Like I just, I, I'm awkward all the time. So I've always, same thing, been interested in it or try to stretch, but then I would think like, I am not doing this properly or I never wanted to go to a class. Cause just like you said, I would go and I'm like, there's all these tiny women and here I am yes. just like a bus <laughs> trying to like maneuver my body. And I felt so awkward. So I would do it at home, uh, like watching YouTube videos, but mm-hmm. still, um, I never thought of it more of the, I always thought the same thing, the typical things like you said, and so didn't know how to move it, but I do also still love that you mentioned the spirituality part of it because I never heard of that connection. And so many people I think want or need to have some kind of connection to a higher power, whoever that they may be. And that's very Mm -hmm. hard to have people try to call to it. And so when you were speaking about it, I thought like, I think that's a beautiful way to use this avenue to maybe go back to yourself or connect to something more than just yourself. Yes. Yes. That is so beautifully said. And I think if it's calling to you, it's said in yoga that if it's calling to you, it's a part of your Dharma. And so in, in yoga, we use this word Dharma to mean right law or in right alignment with the universe. So what does that mean? That means that you are in your strengths and your talents and you're in your life's purpose. 
And so if you're feeling called to the practice of yoga, then that means that yoga can sharpen the tools that you need to walk in right alignment with the universe. So we can all, every human can benefit from regulating our nervous system. So sometimes we use that um, word relaxation or chilling out and yoga because of the breathing and yes, also because of the movement helps to regulate your nervous system. Usually, you know, this is also, I just want to say like, if you are someone with severe trauma, like yoga, maybe if that trauma is in you and hasn't been addressed and understood, um, yoga could actually kind of bring up a lot of stuff and it might not feel relaxing, especially if you are in a classroom or a yoga room where the teacher really didn't understand what trauma informed yoga or teaching was, but I digress. So if you're called to yoga, you are meant to practice yoga. We started a on-demand platform called Lotus House On Demand. We had this before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, we realized that people, because they literally would text me, message me on Instagram, I need Lotus, I want yoga, I miss it so much, what what do I do? Um, And so we amplified our platform, we added hundreds of classes and workshops and meditations and even just like little conversations, like here's my favorite quote. And I want to tell you about why this could help you today, you know, for five minutes that you could use just in the morning while you're, you know, brushing your teeth and putting your makeup on or whatever. Um, we wanted eventually, like as the road progressed and we became these like IT tech and like audio visual technician experts, we like learned how to build a production studio and we're teaching yoga and we're putting it online and we're coding websites. And it's this little team of people. And we just had this drive and a dream to get it to more folks. It turned out that it opened the door for people who were intimidated to come to yoga, to come to a yoga class. And it turned out that we were able to actually share a lot more of the spiritual philosophy, a lot more of the life wisdom outside of just walking in, doing a yoga posture class for one hour and then walking out, which is a benefit, which people do feel great from and do feel extremely connected to themselves. And I think that it is changing the world for the better, but Lotus House On Demand created a place for people to feel connected as a community to the mission and to the vision of Lotus House of Yoga, but also where you could do it. Like, you know, there's not always a class at like 7.05 in the morning and you need to be at work at 8.30. So let me just throw on this class and I can do it in my living room and then get ready and go to work. Um, Also, like a lot of parents who have, you know, different schedules because their kids are either in school or during the pandemic, their kids were out of school and they couldn't just leave the house anymore. It allowed for parents to also utilize the practice, which then I think comes back to that thing I mentioned in the beginning, which it's like yoga is not, this is like, this would be a tweetable moment. Yoga is not there to make you a better yogi. In fact, I would say like, there are no good yogis and you can't get better at yoga what you can do is use yoga as a spiritual practice or as a tool to fall more deeply in love with yourself and to become more compassionate and understanding to the people who surround you including strangers and neighbors and through that you become a more aligned human with the truth of your nature you can't get better at yoga It's just one of my, honestly, one of my uh, meditation teachers called it like washing a ball of dirt. You can't get, it's like, that is just like a mind mess in in itself. Like, wait, what? But that's what it, you can't get better at yoga. You just get more in touch and aligned to the truth of who you are. And when you are in love with that truth and accepting of that truth, that becomes the basis for how you love and treat everyone else in the world.
and how you recover from making mistakes. Like we don't learn lessons from our highs and highs and successes. When we knock things out of the park, we get like, that feels good. We get to pat ourselves on the back and be like, yeah, I did it, you know? And we get to celebrate with each other. But where do we really learn to love ourselves more deeply? It's when we like mess up, you know, or make a mistake or we don't get the thing or we said something wrong. And then I don't know, have you, do you guys ever like think back on a memory or a conversation or something you said and you're like, oh, cringe. Yeah, I can't believe I said that all yeah. the time, right? And like, I remember a time in my life when that would keep me awake at night. I would just replay those things in my mind from even like 10 years ago or high school or something that I just keep playing them in my mind. And I can truly see where now when, so this is something that you can take away too. When you notice yourself doing that cringe, you notice what your body does, right? It like tenses up. Or if you think about when you hear somebody tells you no, or you don't get the thing, or you get a hard email to read, where in your body do you feel that stress first? Like, tell me, do you know where you feel it in your body first? Well, yeah, either. mine is like my shoulders, like I tense up and I clench my jaw. I usually have the, a feeling, um, not really my stomach, but almost like my chest area of this anxiousness or whenever I get news or stuff, it's, I do get that tense, mm-hmm. but it's always like almost a butterfly chest feeling all the time. Yes. And mine is like in my gut. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, like something's like pulling me down in like, and I just need to like go in this cave. So when each of us can notice that and we can name it, we actually then have the opportunity to start to regulate our response and regulate our nervous system. So instead of going, I get the news, my body reacts. Now I need to access. Okay. This is like, this is deep stuff, but I think we should go there. I need to access the first time this happened and it hurt me the worst. Then usually we're all going back to like that mean girl in sixth grade. Or the time our sister said something in, you know, third grade or our dad, you know, and, and we go back and we go, that hurt so bad that one. And it's not like we're cognitively processing this, but we have a record of it. And we go in order to not get hurt that bad, I need to go into my stress response. And that looks like fight, flight, or flee, right. Or, or fawn, you know, like, oh, that, right. So we have your, so when you when each of us can go, there's that feeling. Oh, interesting. My body was reacting to that. And all we can do is, is notice it. We don't have to fix it. We don't have to change it. There's no affirmation band-aid with a rainbow on it. We don't need to like fake it till we make it. All we have to do is go, wow, my body responded to that before my mind did before even a conscious response did, we can go, oh my chest, I'm getting that feeling like tight. Oh, wow. You know, and that's a part of what yoga and meditation can do for us because it asks us to notice when we're sitting in meditation, it asks us to go notice the sensation that's arising in your body right now. And then you're like, I'm in the grocery store. I need to get peanut butter and don't forget to send that email and call that person back. And whoa, I didn't text. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not concentrating anymore. Okay. Return my attention. Don't beat myself up. No judgment. It's just like, come back. And when we can learn to go, I notice and now I return. I notice and now I return, you know, and then it maybe takes us like 15 years of just that. And then maybe we start to respond differently. And instead of responding with that, you know, sympathetic nervous system, which is like fight or flight, maybe then through a sense of safety and healing, we develop in our own selves, then we can start to respond with things that feel a little more understanding to both ourselves and the other individual or the situation. Yeah, I loved how 
it was kind of like a light bulb moment for me a little bit because I would say I'm a recovering perfectionist and how I see that comes come out and play when and Candace is laughing. Well, I was like, you recovered? No, you're still a perfectionist. But That's I see why. that coming out when I'm doing yoga because, you know, I took dance from the time I was like three through high school. So like when I'm doing yoga, like if I, like my son comes up and he's 15 months and starts like crawling all over me, I'm like, oh, I need it. I need to rewind that video. I didn't do it correctly because I got distracted and I'm trying to like work on like accepting that, that that's okay. And he can be in it. And, um, it's not about just doing the poses correctly. And I don't have to do everything perfectly from start to finish, but how you were talking about like how it feels in your body. Like that's something I still don't think I do well is like pause to like, when I start feeling like that urge to like, Oh, I didn't do that perfectly. I need to do it again so I can do it perfectly to pause and recognize like how my body is reacting to that first. Um, and then making a, taking a few seconds to like recognize that and then come back to the moment instead of just trying to like push on through it. Or I, I thought the same thing too, where you were addressing it, where I've done for years and didn't realize it is if I had a feeling I immediately went to food and grabbed something to self-soothe. And then I've been in a 12 step program for about three years now. And it's not like a, when you said it take years, it, it wasn't like, boom, figured it all out is there's sometimes I had to sit and like you said, I had a mentor, um, sponsor that would say, okay, sit with the feeling you have. And I was like, but I don't want to, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't like this. Mm -hmm. And then finally, also I would, you know, in other times where it's, I didn't go to food and I had a moment of something happened to me and I had to recognize those feelings. And then I, at first, sometimes I was like, I'm more angry and I'm frustrated what's happening. And my sponsor was like, well, you're not going to food. I'm like, well, I don't like this. And then finally, I, well, like Allison said, I'm still working on it is I've had moments where I've had the feeling I sat with it, cried, and then it was gone. And it's such a simple thing to like, let go and done almost like I think of a, of a baby or a child where they're hurt, they're upset. And then five minutes later, they're done. And I just thought I spent years avoiding my feelings when all I could do is address it at that moment, feel it and move on. And it's such a revelation to me and I'm still working on it. So like when you address that, like, I love that yoga could be something again that someone can use to process because I never thought of yoga possibly doing that I would do meditation and stuff but to sit with your feelings I think there's still a huge disconnect and I'll just say for myself but I think with other people is you don't want to address feelings you don't want to sit with something uncomfortable we try to find ways to cope and those aren't usually the best ways to cope and just or for me, I, I never learned as a child and I'm in my thirties learning and I kind of wish, or if I have children, help them do that too. Um, and just other people just learning how to cope basic skills, which I should have known years ago, but I'm just learning feelings aren't that bad to deal with. <laughs> when we are little kids, we got angry and, and we got sad and we got, you know, frustrated and our wonderful, doing the best they could parents who maybe or maybe not, we have incredible relationships still. It does not take anything away from who they are. But do you know what they said? They said, don't be angry. Don't be frustrated. You're okay. You're okay. Here, here, have this. Here, here, have this. Take this. You want a piece of candy? Here, you know, and now we're like, take my phone. It's okay. Don't feel that right? So we grow up, um, I think, you know, generationally, maybe a couple generations ago, I mean, kids weren't even allowed to say how they were feeling, right? And so then maybe our generation was like, okay, we're going to express our feelings. And then our parents were like, let me manage that for you and give you something to not feel those feelings. 
And then, you know, we go to school and it's like, we can learn about feelings, but we're actually, you're not allowed to feel them. You're going to sit in these chairs and you're going to follow these rules and fit into the, you know, so we were raised to not feel our feelings and not from someplace that was like evil or, you know, controlling, but just because our parents were trying to do the best they could or our caregivers or someone. And so now as adults, you know, we are kind of confronted with, oh, I was doing this thing so I wouldn't have to feel my feelings. And then they were just getting like, you know, stuffed into some corner of my heart that I didn't have to look at, you know, and then we sit down in a quiet space and it's like, where we're standing in line somewhere or we're driving in our car and it's like I don't want to feel my feelings I'll just look at Instagram mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I don't want to feel I don't want to feel this so in our house you know it's it takes a lot of unlearning that with my kids I've got three kids and I'm not, I'm doing the best I can you know and learning as as much as I can but it takes a lot of unlearning that when one of my kids is hurting or frustrated or mad, instead of trying to manage it or fix it, I try as best I can to, you know, get on the floor with them. And I go, yeah, this is really frustrating. It's so hard. I know you stub your toe and it hurts really bad. Ouch. You know, I know you can't have that toy right now. I understand that right now you want it so bad but I will not allow you to have whatever it is right now. And really try and parent from a place of like, like you mentioned, eventually the weather of your emotions passes, right? So that the feeling passes, our feelings change a hundred thousand times a day. And, you know, I think when we get stuck in a certain wave of a feeling, that's called depression or anxiety or mania, you know, and those things can be chemically, um, genetically, um, circumstantially created, you know, it's not like we should be able to fix and control those states. But for the most part, our emotions are like weather, you know, and the, the, interesting thing is, is that we make these decisions during those emotional storms, whatever they may be. And then those affect everything else that we do. So when you're, I know you do a lot of coaching and when you're working with your clients to work on, you know, feeling the feelings and unlearning how to shove the feelings in the corner, what are some of the techniques that you use or have your clients use to help through this process? Mm -hmm. I use three main techniques and one of them is a, you know, amalgamation of a couple different practices where we try to find the feeling of fear that's coming up in a specific moment. So let's say, you know, you're in a conversation, like you're having trouble with um, a colleague and this is the situation and they're treating you like this. And this is, you know, this is what's coming up and it's driving me crazy and I don't know what to do about it. it? So then I help you find what the main fear is in that moment. And then through a, you know, guided meditation, we travel back in time to different points along your life where you had that same feeling. What we try and do is find kind of the first time that you remember feeling that way, or maybe the biggest time. And then we go back to that version of you. And we truly have a conversation with that version of you, not part of you okay tell me a little bit more about how you feel where how are you trying to are you hiding are you fleeing are you fighting are you yelling are you trying to be a perfectionist are you people pleasing and we look at that little 
kid version of you or whomever, whatever version is, and we figure out what that part of you needs to hear or to feel, to feel safe. And you can do this by yourself, but it's really helpful to have a coach or, you know, someone else help you so that you can really go back into that space and not feel like you need to consciously hold both sides. Um, but you can do it by yourself. I mean, I, I remember those moments in elementary school that really kind of were those first times that you feel really ouchy and icky about yourself that kind of form how you respond to a lot of different things in your life. So that's one of the first ways. I think that's one of the most important ways because oftentimes those experiences have their, you know, handprint on every area of your life, your, you know, romantic partnerships, your colleagues at work, um, your nuclear family, your extended family, your friends, and especially the things that you want to manifest in your life, you know, the things that you want to experience, the places you want to go, the kind of lifestyle you want to lead. So I think it's really important to do that. The second thing I do a lot of is called EFT, which is emotional freedom technique. It's a tapping practice where you tap on different points on your body. And so we can even do it together right now. And you can silently repeat these things um, in your head right now. So we'll tap on the outside of your hand, just like right underneath your pinky finger. And silently in your mind, you can say something like, oh, I'm so stressed. I've been so frustrated. I can't believe all this stress I have. I feel tired and I feel overwhelmed. I can't live like this anymore. I can't believe I have all this on my plate. It's just too much. Now tap the inside of your wrist together. Just right at the inside of your wrist, tapping those points together. And you say, even though I'm tired and even though I'm stressed, I deeply and completely love, honor, and accept myself, even though I'm overwhelmed, even though I'm afraid. I deeply and completely love, honor, and accept myself. Now tap the crown of your head. So both hands just tapping the top of your head right here, right now. I choose to honor myself. I choose to listen to my heart. I choose to remember my divinity because I am worthy and I am present. I am confident and I am love. Now inhale your arms overhead, interlace your fingertips at the top, flip your palms big, stretch up. And then exhale, release your arms down and just pause and notice the way that you feel. Okay, now if you have water beside you, I think it's always really important to take your drink of water. So if you have a water bottle or whatever, have a little drink. Because hydration has a huge impact on the way that your neurology works, the way your body feels, um, everything. So we just kind of downloaded release and then downloaded a whole bunch of new information and water can just send that through. So does a extremely truncated version, a very short version of, you know, the practice that we do. And, um, there's measurement, there's ways to measure that practice to see how it's actually working in real time. And theoretically, we want to do that on, um, the way you feel in the present moment, like if you had a crappy day or like deep seated beliefs that have been in you for a really long time. So we want to address all of those with EFT, with tapping. Um, and sometimes it takes 10 minutes and sometimes it could take two different sessions, you know, but it's, it's a really, really powerful, powerful practice. And then the third way is that we really look at where your rituals, um, your daily um, ritual practices are supporting or, you know, maybe harming or not benefiting your life. So what does that mean? What are rituals? Well, that's where, you know, coaching comes in because not everybody is appropriate to sit down and meditate for 20 minutes in the morning. 
And not everybody is it appropriate to guarantee that you, you know, have 10 hours of sleep. Not everyone is it appropriate that you do a certain yoga asana, the postural practice every single day for 40 days. So I think that a 40 day practice is incredibly powerful. It can be as little as three minutes a day. It could be as long as an hour. But um, I think that when you have something consistent that you do exactly the same every day for 40 days, then at the end of those days, and end of that, you know, journey, you can really look back and see, wow, that did benefit me. But most practices, most spiritual practices don't work overnight. Okay. It's going to take a week. It's going to take a couple weeks for you to go, huh, I really actually handled that differently or wow. I noticed I'm starting to sleep better, but especially for, you know, the last couple generations, we've been presented with these, I think, very well-intentioned things that help us feel better instantly, you know, but might not be sustainable or have side effects that are, you know, harmful to our bodies and to the people around us. So um, the cool thing is that these practices that have been around for, you know, 2,000 to 5,000 years, which is a long, long time, um, help you in the long, long run. Yeah. I mean, like you said, with the practices being around for so long, right. They, they clearly have a proven track record for success. They just got lost along the way for some of us. So it's just reintroducing and relearning those, um, which I think is really cool. Absolutely. Well, now I'm, well, I, now I'm just thinking like ever since the, the tapping and I've heard of tapping, I feel really relaxed and just even talking to you, like yeah. I could go home and take a nap. <laughs> well, it was interesting. I was going to mention, so I'm glad you said that because it reminded me, I was going to mention a little bit how I felt even just going through and doing it. I just felt a lot of like warmth and heat coming up through my body. It was like things that, that were probably like stagnant somewhere were starting to move. I could feel like energy moving, which is really cool. I think to be able to do something where you can feel like feel the effects of it immediately. Yes. So I will say that contrary to what I just said, tapping is a great way to feel better right away. So there are a few reasons why that works. One, you're pausing, right? So we say, okay, world, world, you're going to hold on and I'm going to do something and I'm going to concentrate on me right now. Okay. And that for most of us doesn't happen ever. So number one, tapping, it's, it turns your attention back on yourself. Number two is that the points that we tap, and there are lots of different points all over your whole body. We just did three points today. Um, they are connected to meridians in traditional Chinese medicine, which is TCM. And so those meridian points that are um, not the same as, but can be compared to different channels in our fascia those actually help correspond to places in our body that, like you said, we do hold on to stagnant energy. So those points that we tap are very specific and meant to help us release or activate. And then third, just simply the rhythm. The rhythm helps us to disengage with our current thought pattern. And when we're able to disengage, we actually access what in yoga we would be call, you know, your sort of wisdom sheath or the wisdom layer of your body rather than the mental layer of your body. So our mental layer, and especially for women, we are future thinking, we're past thinking, we're current thinking, we're managing the space, we're looking around, what do I need to think about next? Where do I need to go next? You know? And so when we are able to kind of either you can think about going deeper than that mental thought shield sheath, or you can think about, you know, rising above it or dropping below. But when we transcend that, we get into that space of wisdom that knows, that knows that at the center of us, there's a place that is never afraid, that is always courageous, and that is always there for us. 
And when we connect to that space, then we start to remember the truth of who we are. One of the last questions that I have for you is about meditation and kind of some tips and tricks that you can give for people who are new to meditation. I struggle with meditation a lot because like you said, I always have this like running list. So like I will sit down and start meditating and then I'll, before I know it, I'm thinking of a hundred other things. And then I'm frustrated Mm -hmm. because I didn't meditate perfectly and I didn't do what I was Mm -hmm. supposed to do. Um, so I'd love to get some tips and tricks from you for how to like get started with a meditation practice. Yeah. Great. So three things. Number one is put it on your to-do list. So if you put it on your to-do list alongside, um, you know, answer emails or go to the grocery store or make that phone call, then you can remember that it, it, you are doing something that's a part of the list. So when those other things come up, you can remind yourself that those things are still on my list. Those things aren't going anywhere. But right now and right here, I'm doing this sitting practice. So um, I don't know if you guys do time blocking. It's, you know, like on your calendar, instead of having a to-do list, you literally go 10 minutes for this, 20 minutes for that, five minutes for this. So I think it's really helpful to time block in meditation, wherever you're going to put it, whether it's first thing in the morning, which I think is the easiest because then it's out of the way and it kind of sets your stage for the rest of the day. So if that's you, if you can do it first thing in the morning, then we all have like a snooze button either on our phone or on our alarm clock. I have an alarm clock um, that has a like eight minute snooze. And so some days I will just literally press news and I will sit on the side of my bed and wait until that alarm goes off and then it's done for the day. Okay. My second tip is start with one minute a day. Do not meditate longer than one minute. Go for seven days, just one minute a day. And then the second week, two minutes a day. And by the second week, you're going to be like, oh, but I want to sit for like a couple. Don't do it. Just go two minutes a day. The third week, three minutes a day. Fourth week, four minutes a day. Until you get to, you know, maybe 10 minutes. If you do that, you trick your body and your mind into kind of like wanting more, but not being able to do more, right? So I, I suggest start really small one minute a day for seven days. Um, my third tip is to be extraordinarily kind. So there are many forms of meditation and I teach many different or facilitate offer many different forms of meditation. And one of the best ones to start with is called loving kindness meditation, which is truly the practice of being kind to yourself. Like that's it. And so for that 60 seconds, those one minute, every time your to-do list comes up, you go, look at that. I'm so lovely. I'm so wonderful. I was thinking about that thing. Okay. Now I'm going to come back to my breath. Ah, look there. My mind went again. Oh, that's so silly. I did that again. Okay. My lovely self, I'm coming back how can I be a better friend to myself? That's one of the best quotes about meditation is meditation is about is the practice of becoming a better friend to yourself. And I've been meditating for a really long time. I mean, I remember I tried meditation for the first time when I was like 12 or 13. And I, I mean, that was almost, I mean, I'm going to be 40 this year. So that was a long time ago. And it doesn't get easier. Okay. And so I say that because you're not going to get to this point where you sit down and you have no thoughts. That's like a condition of being a human. So the definition that I want to leave you and the listeners with is that meditation is the art of remembering the art of remembering what you're concentrating on. So that could be your breath could be, you know, which let's just say it's your breath. 
the rise and the fall of your breath. That's it. So meditation is the art of remembering your breath over and over, over and over. One minute a day for seven days, two minutes. And, you know, there's a lot. I have an app that has meditation on it. And, and I give those meditations on Lotus House On Demand. But there is nothing that will help you do it more than just sitting down to do it every day. And using an app is great. Using Lotus House On Demand is great because it gives you kind of opens the doorway. So you go, oh, okay. And I hear this beautiful voice and it really helps me get in tune with myself, but you still have to like open the app and sit down and do it, you know? So it's also one of those things that you'll feel the effects, you know, a couple weeks in, maybe not the first day. And that's beautiful and that's okay. And no matter who you are and where you are, if you can breathe, you can concentrate and that's yoga. That's the practice of yoga is remembering the truth of your nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that those are great tips that, you know, are easy to implement and not feel overwhelmed. So, so, yeah, I think there is so much of what you said today that really resonated so much with me. And I think it will with our listeners as well. Can you share um, where listeners can go to connect with you if they want to work with you, where they can find um, the app for Lotus House On Demand? Yeah. So Instagram is like the easiest and best way to connect both at MC Sweet Yoga. MC Sweet Yoga is where you can get in touch with me and learn about my um, coaching options. And then at Lotus House On Demand is where you'll find all of the like, what's new on the app, how to download it, specials that we have. Um, I even just um, recorded a Yoni steaming and new moon circle workshop. It's like 30 minutes long, um, but you can learn how to Yoni steam at home. You know, you don't need anything except boiling water. Like that's it. If you have herbs, cool, but that's on Lotus house on demand. Um, like I said, meditations are there, classes, sculpt classes, yoga classes, meditation, journaling, quotes. There is so much. My vision is to make it like the Netflix of yoga. So check it out. Yeah, I definitely will. Yeah. I'm excited to check it out and be able to incorporate it into my, my yoga practice that I kicked off again at the start of the new year and I'm planning to stick with it this time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Thank you.